So if God didn't call me to go, I got to stay. And if I'm going to stay, I'm going to keep working on me. I'm going to keep my heart pure so that when it is time, I'm fully available and God can use me. Well, welcome to the Shepherd Heart Leader podcast, where we explore topics that help strengthen your ability to care for those under your leadership. Today, we're gonna talk about succession. Now, each of us have things that we're doing that eventually we're gonna have to pass on to someone else. And the Bible's full of examples. And Nate, you did your dissertation on succession. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that topic and why you chose it. Sure, well, first of all, it's a really big topic and it's a very important topic in the corporate world, in the church world, and even in families. So it's something that's pretty broad and I had to narrow it down to a very specific audience and what I was a problem I was trying to address through my research. And in particular, I was looking at churches and the succession of the lead pastor role or senior pastor role. And what do we do to get people ready? So the, the title of it was preparing the receiver of the baton in the succession narrative. And I look specifically at what does it take to succeed for the one that was coming in, the one that was receiving the baton? How do we prepare that person or those many people to succeed once they get there? And it's most often going to happen for years and years before that point. You don't get ready five minutes before you take the baton. There's a lot of preparation and training. And, and so I looked at that. I studied churches that were successful at it and those that weren't. I specifically studied um, 10 churches that were over a thousand people and had gone through succession. Eight of them did well and two of them really struggled. And uh, so, um, you know, not every story is the same and everyone has a different story, but that's in a sense, um, kind of in a nutshell, what I uh, kind of set out to do when I did the dissertation. So why did you choose that topic? Was there yeah. something that was going on inside of you that, yeah. was it just some of your- Yeah, opinion? so it's interesting because I chose it long before I became a receiver of the baton uh, at Emmanuel. I was working at North Central University and part of my role was to interface with many pastors and leaders in churches all over, especially the upper Midwest. And North Central University is owned by 11 different districts or states of the Assemblies of God. And each of them um, would have me in to speak at events and, and focusing on training, that kind of thing, did camps, did churches. And really the, the, the why behind it evolved over time is I would sit across the table at coffee with staff pastors as well as senior pastors. And I would hear kind of what the real story was behind the scenes, um, the things they wouldn't say in public. They would ask me questions. I would pick, pick up on questions that they had in mind about their future. Staff pastors were, were concerned because they didn't know where they were going and they didn't have the safe place to talk about it with their boss. And so um, meanwhile, they're thinking about their future. And, and I was a safe place at that time because I was at North Central. I wasn't a threat to anything else. I wasn't going to share any information. So I began to pick up kind of real data, if you will. And then I observed in a 10-year period of time that I worked at North Central um, that we were in crisis in the church world because there was no formal way to prepare people. And it was kind of like, well, when a guy's ready to be done with their job, then the search committee would look for somebody and it was all random. 
and uh, there's not a lot of security in in the whole process. Um, there's insecurity in the the senior pastors who um, uh, didn't know what they were going to do for their own future. And uh, when is it time for them to step down? When is it time to hand the baton off? And there's a whole boatload of of concerns and questions wrapped up in that and. Uh, finances and their personal preparation for retirement, that kind of thing, to say nothing of just moving from one church to another church and now there's a vacancy. And then you got these staff pastors that are most likely to be the next heir apparent who have not had a safe place to have that conversation. And so they're sitting there going, what are we going to do? And in that 10 year period of time, I watched and observed that many of the youth pastors in particular that are most likely that, that cohort of people were most likely to become lead pastors that they kind of lost heart because they didn't have a place to talk about and prepare. They didn't want to waste their time. Many of them started planting churches and many of them didn't have a grace to plant churches, Mm -hmm. but they thought that was the only thing they could do. And then they jumped into that and it was painful for their family, painful for them personally, if they didn't have the grace for that. And then meanwhile, some of our best leaders um, opted out. Either they left um, church work and and jumped into something else or uh, the vision inside of them died over time. So it became a passion of mine to say, well, how can we help people like that to be ready for whatever their future is, whether it's in that particular church that they serve at or if it's somewhere else, it doesn't need to be wasted time. They could work on their future while they're serving in whatever role that they were in. Well, you studied a lot. I'm holding your dissertation and I mm-hmm. looked and it's 174 pages, I think I mm-hmm. saw. Uh, you studied a lot of scripture. What are some of the highlights that you discovered about yeah. succession through scripture? Yeah. So little uh, behind the scenes on what is a dissertation, right? And there's many different kinds. There's a full research dissertation. Um, there's uh, projects where people will write a book. Um, for me, my project uh, was somewhat traditional. I did a little bit of study, but everybody in the program that I was in had to do a biblical theology um chapter. And so in that chapter, I looked at all the succession narratives in the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. I remember that. And, uh, and, you know, because really the Bible has a lot to say on this subject as we see it in the living word of God um, is powerful. And so, you know, starting all the way from God's first conversation with Adam and Eve to their, their children uh, and how that went. And then you can see all of these genealogies. They're really passing of the baton. Some of them were successful. Some of them weren't successful. The ones that were highlighted were highlighted for a reason. And so you get to Abraham and Abraham is probably the most prolific person in the first part of Genesis. And uh, you see God speaking to him and giving him promises and yet Abraham himself was not going to be the one that personally saw the fulfillment of those promises. Those were meant to be what the Bible calls in a seed in, in, in his uh, lineage and the people that would follow him. And one of those, of course, was his son, Isaac. And Isaac, you can see the, the passing of the baton in that part of things. And then it also moved from Isaac to Jacob and from Jacob and then you focus in more on Joseph in that picture, but you can look at the 12 tri- tribes of Israel and there's various aspects of, of the, the narrative that you had seen there. In those circumstances, it was all family. Oh, wow. And so, um, and just a little 
parenthetical thought on uh, succession and family. And um, in reality, um, it's not bad if a child does what their parent had done, especially if they had lived around it. They pick up things intuitively. Um, they've had to live a lifestyle of whatever that particular role is. Does not mean that they are called or anointed necessarily, although God does it, but they should also not be um, excluded because of some uh, uh, hatred of nepotism or something like that. So in the biblical narrative, when you see a son um, pick up that responsibility, they were actually prepared throughout their entire life. And then you kind of jump into this uh, narrative part of the process all the way into, let's say, Moses. Moses really heard from God again, much like Abraham did. He was the first generation, if you will. And um, as he hears from God, he leads all of Israel. And now you see a leader who hears from God, institutes the law, is the foundational figure for the entire nation. I mean, Moses is the figure of the Old Testament. He's, he's the guy. And yet, who's he going to pass it off to? And, and in that, you see um, Joshua. And if you really look at Joshua's life, he had served as a, an assistant to Moses for decades before Moses dies. And uh, the great narrative in the scripture says that um, Moses, my servant, is dead. Be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous, as Joshua chapter 1 and 2 opens up. And you see that now this leader had been prepared to lead. He had a different gift set. He had a different wiring but he was prepared to lead that next phase. So there's so many great things in that. For example, um, in, in Joshua's story, um, you, you, know, you read about Moses going up the mountain and uh, the time that he got the Ten Commandments or he'd meet with God and came down with a glowing face and all of that. Well, Joshua actually went up the mountain with him. He had to stop at a certain level, but Joshua was there. And so you see that um, that that next leader has to go places that the rest of the people didn't get to go to. And it, w it was a part of the preparation process. Then you can look at other narratives, things like uh, the prophets, Elijah to Elisha. And uh, there's so many great things hidden in that. You know, when, when God uh, had put it in Elijah's heart to go after Elisha in the narrative, he walks onto the farm, so to speak, of Elisha's family. And he says, uh, he throws his cloak on him, which represented his calling, his authority, his office. And he throws it on him and he walks away. He says, consider what I've done to you. And then you see that Elisha had to do certain things, like he killed the ox, he burned the plow. He essentially left no road back to go back to the farm. He was chasing the call. And so that was powerful. Um, then you fast forward to the the end of, of the Old Testament and all of the prophecies about Messiah coming and, and the call of God and everything else were projecting forward. And there's these 400 years of silence, uh, Malachi and Matthew, and then Jesus shows up. And in a sense, it's a succession narrative handoff of a baton from the Old Testament to Jesus. And Jesus takes it and he runs with it. He is the fulfillment of everything we think about when we talk about our salvation, our life. Um, without Jesus, we'd be lost. Mm. But Jesus is the fulfillment of that. But it doesn't end there. And this is what's so cool for us as believers 
is Jesus has this group of people he picks and they're going to carry the, the, the ministry, the mission when he's gone. They don't know it, but he takes them everywhere he goes. And you see hidden in the gospels stories of little uh, away from the crowd conversations between the disciples and Jesus. And they're things like uh, they fought together. They fought against each other. Who's going to sit your right hand? Who's going to sit your left hand? And, and they, I mean, there's, and Jesus allows it. And one of the things I love about that is, is that in our, our own personal proper uh, preparation for our futures, um, we don't have to be perfect. Jesus allowed imperfection on his inner team. He even picked people that were opposites. I think he set them up for conflict because conflict became a tool for teaching them to get them re- ready for their future. And, uh, and then you can follow the phrases of, of those disciples um, or G- what Jesus would say to them after the conflict and uh, their powerful kind of teaching moments. Jesus dies and ascends to the father. And before he does, he says, I'm going to hand the baton off, but the baton wasn't actually handed off to the disciples yet. It was handed off to the Holy Spirit. Wow. And he says, wait for the comforter, the, the counselor, the teacher, the advocate, the one, the next mentor that's going to lead you. And uh, of course they wait in acts and they receive that, that call from God, um, that baptism of the spirit, but it's really a relationship with the Holy Spirit to guide them. And then they relied on a daily walk with the Holy Spirit to prepare them for what they needed to do next. And then you can see that that it doesn't end with the, the apostles or the disciples. It, it continues to flow out because as you move through Acts, they had to figure out how, how do we appoint other people to do what we do? And, and then you can move all the way into Paul's relationship with Timothy. And, and when he's talking to Timothy, he says, and trust what I've taught you to others that you trust. And so there's this kind of continual baton handoff um, that the church is supposed to have. So it was hidden within the scripture. There's so much valuable material related to the subject and it's all in that dissertation. That's amazing. So one of the things you had said is how Jesus picked 12 people and he poured into them. Uh, when you're looking to hand the baton off to someone or yeah. just preparing yeah. su- successors, how do you pick? And yeah. do you pick more than just one? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, that's really good. Um, well, first of all, uh, you know, I've, I've used this phrase in a previous podcast, but this is really where, where it applies. I don't own anybody's call. People are called to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks to them, and I do. I sit in my role. So let's take it in the context of being a pastor. I have to listen, and I have to ask the Lord, who is he, who does he want me to pick? I got to pray. Jesus prayed before he went, and he picked his disciples. So, you know, I have to recognize I'm asking the Lord. But then I go and I say, hey, I think, I think you're the person that I need on my team. It's still up to them to say yes. And I have to let that happen. I can't control people. I can't dominate. I can't manipulate people, although some people do. The The biblical way is to say, here it is. Now you hear from God. And so when, when I want to choose who I want, um, that's been different at different seasons, different times. Um, and even now, you know, I'm, I'm 11 years in to pastoring at Emmanuel this year. And uh, I don't have any... 
uh, ideas that I'm going to be leaving anytime soon. In fact, Pastor Daniel said to me, uh, he said, uh, hey, I made it 43 years. Like it was a double dog dare you challenge. Like you got it. You can make it 43. So if I add my 10 years as a youth pastor and my 10 years at North Central and my 10 years as lead pastor, I'm still 13 years away from him. And uh, so anyways, you know, when I think about my own story, I don't know who my successor is going to be. So my thinking has got to be, I need to prepare the people that are around me for their future. And at some point, if God leads me to know when my end time is, then I can begin a very specific process of picking somebody for my job. That does not um, remove me from the responsibility of still preparing all the people on my team for their own future, even if it doesn't directly benefit me. So, for example, I'll have youth pastors, worship pastors, kids pastors. I've got teammates that are in various roles in our church, and they all have a future, a destiny, a calling from God. So I have a responsibility right now to help them for their future. And so part of that is just giving them reps and opportunities, and just like Jesus did. While Jesus did ministry, I do ministry, and then I notice the people I'm doing ministry with, and I listen to the Holy Spirit, and I talk to them. And sometimes they 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 come on our team, and sometimes we send them to another team uh, through a series of circumstances, or they feel feel the call of God, or things have changed. I like to say I don't you know nobody leaves us; we send people, and uh, so it's a broader picture than just how do you pick. Now, when I want to pick specifically for a team, not just for the future long term, who's going to take my place, when I want to pick a team like Jesus did, I want to, I want to look at what are our needs of our people, where, what's the reality of our budget, our, our responsibilities, what do we do with that? Um, uh, if you're a parent, you don't pick a different set of kids, so you got to work with what you got too. And uh, if you're you're an employer or you're working in the professional world, you still got to work with what God has given you and keep an eye open for others that maybe God would have to join the team as well. So what are some good characteristics uh, that you look at for receivers of a baton? Like if someone's listening to this podcast and maybe they have a business or they're running a Mm -hmm. ministry here at the church or at another church and Mm -hmm. they're looking for people to pour into, to prepare them. What are some of the characteristics that you want to look for when you're investing into others? Yeah. So, um, faithfulness is always one thing. Uh, you know, we did the faithful, available, teachable principle when we're in youth ministry days. It still applies um, the fat principle. Um, you want them to be faithful. Uh, do they handle whatever's given them? Because, listen, they're not going to handle more. Jesus gave us that principle and he talked about you got to prove faithful with what you're given. Then he gives you more. So I think that's that's the baseline. Um, are they available? Are they open to just the task and what's in the job description? Or are they open to the larger mission? Um, and the higher you go in a leadership role that you're looking for, for their future, you want a capacity to do more than one thing and a willingness to do the leadership thing. A shepherd hearted leader will step up 
and be inconvenienced and uh, not bothered and not say, hey, I'm off the clock. Well, you know, there's boundaries to that. But there are also times when, hey, there's a need. We need to set aside what we had planned to do what we need to do next. So I'm looking for that capacity. I'm always looking for what uh, I'm observing how they lead others. How do they lead others at whatever level they're at? And, um, and what can be improved, I can help them with that. But some people, they need to stay at a certain level. So let's not promote them beyond their level of, of capacity or calling. It's something called the Peter Principle, when you take somebody beyond their level of, of uh, competence. And so, you know, you want to make sure that, that you do it appropriately. And then um, keep giving them something else, something new. Uh, Dr. Anderson did this for me when I worked at North Central. <laughs> when I started, I had no idea what I was going to be doing, but he kept giving me new responsibilities, new, you know, 11 different offices while I worked there. Um, but he said, hey, now I want you to oversee admissions and I want you to oversee financial aid, things I had never done before and were really outside the bandwidth of what I had done ministry-wise. And I said, okay, even not knowing what I was going to do, but I, I grew in the process. So Dr. Anderson provided my growth opportunity by giving me a sp space to stretch and grow. And I think you can do that for other leaders. You can do that for people underneath you. And it doesn't, by the way, um, it's not relegated only to if you're a supervisor. Um, it could be uh, an employment. It could be something like in the church, you're on a volunteer team, uh, whatever it may be. You can you can help others around you grow and give them more responsibility responsibility and notice how people are cared for underneath their leadership because you do not want to put more people underneath them if they can't love the people they already have. So how do you prepare someone, a successor, without making promises of some sort of future position? I know I've seen this kind of play out in internships mm -hmm. where people might hang on and do an internship program or mm -hmm. some sort of program, whatever, or they'll mm -hmm. work for nothing for a long time in hopes of getting hired and hopes of getting the next spot on the team. And how do you, how do you do that when you're not making promises to people, yeah. but you're still preparing them? Yeah. Well, some of it you can't avoid because you don't know what the expectations are in somebody else's head. Um, the, the best way that you can address it is by being clear about your own expectations of them and what you think you, they can do and not over-promising. Um, you know, sometimes as a, as a, a leader, um, I, we need people, and we need people to jump on board. And, and if somebody is jumping on board only as a, a step in the ladder to get them somewhere, um, that can hurt them. Uh, I think that the Lord resists the proud. And so uh, I have to let pride be dealt with in that. Like, don't promote somebody too quickly. Um, if you are in a position where where you feel like you're stuck and you've been serving, but you have expectations like you want to go somewhere else, then there has to be a place to have that conversation. 
and a timing to have that conversation and an attitude to have that conversation with. It's much like if you go to your boss and want to raise, boy, it matters how you do that, how you have that conversation, when that conversation occurs. After so the I Michigan think it happens. Wins. Yeah. After, after Michigan wins a game. Yeah, this, that's what people around here probably say. Huh? If Michigan wins, go ask Nate for something. Um, and I'm in a good mood. Uh, I, not just the mood side of it, but uh, understanding the larger picture. And um, not everyone is bought into the mission of the organization, whatever organization you're in. Sometimes people are only bought into their own personal goals and dreams to the exclusion of the larger vision. And that gap becomes an expectation difference. And so I think as a leader, my responsibility is when I notice the gap to, to have a conversation about it. Hey, what were you expecting? What are you thinking about? And, um, and being okay if somebody doesn't like it and they leave because they didn't get the job they wanted right away or whatever. Because there's not an infinite no- number of openings. We don't have an infinite payroll in our situation. So that's okay. I want to help somebody, but let's let's talk about what your expectations are. And, and I think it's just a matter of, of trusting the Lord too. So I would say this on both sides. So as a leader... If I'm wanting to prepare people and I'm wanting to prepare many people for the future, then um, I got to trust the Lord that he knows what he's doing with the people underneath me. And people do leave. People do go to other opportunities outside of our organization, outside the church. And we got to bless them and not feel insecure. And Or when we do feel insecure, take that to the Lord. And I think the same could be true when you serve underneath somebody and you feel like you're stuck. And you have to trust the Lord. And there is a a point at which you have to guard your heart. And if you find yourself being in a place where you're beginning to be bitter toward your leader because they're not giving you that opportunity, you got to deal with your own heart. You do have to do the, the Matthew 18 conversation and say, this is what's going on. I feel overlooked. I feel like I'm not appreciated or whatever else. And let there be a conversation as a process, not just over, I'm done and out. So I think, I think we have to just monitor our own heart and how we do that. So how do you feel like you were prepared to be the receiver of the baton yeah. in the succession narrative? Yeah, that's so crazy. Cause if I'm, I'm going to be honest, um, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I like to say that I was a Toys R Us kid which is an old, for all you kiddos out there, it's an old commercial. I don't want to grow up because if I did, I wouldn't be a Toys R Us kid. So I didn't know what I wanted to be. So I had really kind of short-term vision for my own personal journey. And I said, I'm going to be faithful with what I'm doing until God moves me. Other people have a different perspective. They got big dreams. God put it in their heart and they know what they want to do next. For me, I just was faithful at every stage And either God promoted me within where I was at or he moved me. And so the preparation happened in all of that. So as I was faithful and I was given the task that I was responsible for, I did my best. And I found that it was like David out in the field taking care of the sheep. While I was out there taking care of the sheep, God was watching me and he was giving me the skill set to beat the wolves off and beat the bears off. And and so those things, same things apply on a bigger scale down the road. So don't despise the small beginnings or the small uh, extent of your responsibilities. So for me, that was prep. So as a youth pastor, I had to learn how to preach 
eventually. I needed to learn how to handle a budget, even though it was smaller than the budget I handle now. It was a preparatory process. I had to learn to work with volunteer leaders who didn't have to come to church and didn't have to. So how do you motivate them? And how do you put together uh, a team of people that doesn't just um, start strong and end with a, a bust? But what if, what if we had a team that was thriving in, in the leadership culture and the org chart and the training and the community aspect. So I had to learn all of those things throughout my 10 years as a youth pastor, innovating along the way, listening, making lots of mistakes and uh, reps, 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 right? Like it's every week and showing up when nobody else wanted to show up and, and when there's a storm, still going to church. When and a, all and when of it's the, sunny, you still go to church. That's right. And, and I just had to keep doing it, even though I could have done other things. I could have been like other people. And then when I went to North Central, I had to, it was such a shift into education. So what does education have to do with being a pastor? Well, what I had to trust was God was building mm -hmm. my future. And so from in terms of preparation, I didn't understand it, to be honest with you. I didn't understand why. I didn't understand. I was just faithful. So as I followed the leader that God put me underneath, he put me in different roles. And now I added to my repertoire preparation. And I didn't understand how that would play out till later. Um, and it's really served me well in the role that I'm in now. But overseeing the complexity of a complex organization, interfacing with the government, students, uh, church people, all that, um, I had to learn to pivot um, quite a bit and be quick with decision making, as well as understand the, the process. So like in education, process took a lot longer than it did when I was at the church. And that was good for me because I understood that questioning and process that they have in the education world actually strengthened the overall d final decision that we made for a vision. And, uh, and that helped me grow. And then by the time that I had come back to Emmanuel um, to receive the baton from Pastor Dwight Denyes, I had gone through then 20 years of, of a journey didn't make sense to me and didn't make sense to anybody else, but God was watching me and he put me back where he wanted me to be. And I can look at those things and see, man, that helped me along the way. What helped me was have mentors. Yep. You know, I go ask, I'd process. I had down dark times, like, where's this going? I feel lost. I don't feel like I have a team. Um, all of those things. I still had safe places to go have those conversations until I got into the role that God wanted me to be in, and I still have those mentors. Wow. So how can a leader, so you didn't necessarily position yourself other than just being faithful, doing the next thing that God mm -hmm. told you to do, which ultimately that's what's going to get us the well done, good and faithful servant when we get mm -hmm. to heaven. We need to follow God and mm -hmm. do what he says. But how can a leader position themselves to be prepared? Would you suggest same type of thing or... Mm -hmm. And then what advice do you have so they don't get themselves into a spot of being disappointed or staying too long or, mm -hmm. you know, kind of some of those hope so promises? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, going back into my dissertation, one of the things that um, I wrote about and I did, and we did a, a kind of a two-day seminar with um, eight of our staff 
that were staff members where I led them through a process that we now call the future ready process that we were taking cohorts of, of teammates through on staff at Emmanuel. And in that they do a deep dive on their calling, who they are, um, uh, their, their gifts, their talents, their dreams. And they also kind of have an honest assessment of what they're good at and what they're not. And in relationship to their dream, what can they work on for the future? And kind of separating their current job from their long-term career saying, well, what can we work on within the job, but what can we do alongside that that will also help you so you're not wasting time? So you're you're doing what you're supposed to do as a youth pastor, kids pastor, whatever it may be, or you're in media, <laughs> whatever the, the role is that you have. How can you do that better and how will that help you? Do you need management skills in that future role that you dream of? Is there some form of budget management? Is there people leadership? All of those things. Can you work on your emotional EQ? And some of that involves your own personal development that your boss is not responsible for. So um, in your own world, what can you do? Can you read certain books? Uh, can you, like, for example, we take people through the Emotionally Healthy Leader, um, Peter Scherzero's work. That, and part of that is a family genogram and, um, and looking back at your own personal history and what are the kind of features of how we handle conflict and, and uh, how does that play out into leadership? Because if you want to be a leader of people, one of the hangups could be your way of dealing with conflict. And so we work on those things now, which will help you in your current job, but especially help you in your long term. And I would encourage people to really take a broader view of your own life of how can I be a great leader? Um, we're even taking our staff through old school John Maxwell stuff, you know, mm -hmm. developing the leader within you or um, pretty soon uh, we're going to do the developing the leaders around you. So even working on some of those portable skills. And what I would say is consider yourself to be called for life in what you're doing, but develop a portable suitcase that you take with you or a briefcase so that you're able to take those things with you. And you're not wasting time where you're at while you're in the meantime, while you're waiting, be a faithful person, do the best you can in the role you're in, but then look, how can I get myself ready? And then I would say, if you're stuck, then, um, then you can ask several questions. What, what can I do to, to, to sharpen my skills? So for me, when I was, it was when I was a youth pastor that I began to look for master's programs and I was thinking about how I could sharpen my skills if I wasn't going to be able to do it within the, the role that I was in at that time. And then of course, when I hit about year number six or seven at North Central, I felt like I was stuck at that point, and that's when I entered my doctoral program. Now, education's only one of those things, and I would caution you that if you dive into that, it'll take more than you're expecting. Uh, your time, it'll have a cost on your family, not just financial costs, but your relationships, and as we know, that book you hold in your hand, uh, that dissertation cost us. Put it next to my heart. There you go. Um, but I would say work on that. And then, you know, there are cases at which um, you are stuck and it's time to go, but that's a process. That's a process of praying. It's a process of keeping your heart pure, not having offense where you are, letting God open doors. 
and then talking to mentors that could help you with that. I will tell you along the way, there were many people that offered me jobs. They offered me other things, but God didn't call me to go. So if God didn't call me to go, I got to stay. And if I'm going to stay, I'm going to keep working on me. I'm going to keep my heart pure so that when it is time, I'm fully available and God can use me. That's amazing. You know, one of the things you said earlier is about people maybe going and planting a church when they shouldn't have, maybe they should have stayed. Like, how does a person know if they're meant to be the receiver of the baton and take on another organizational leadership? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got a lot of churches that are having aging pastors. There's going to be a lot of turnover. And for some people, it's going to be like, whoa, that's going to be hard to lead a church that's already been led by someone versus planting. How do you how does someone decide or know if they're supposed to be the receiver of the baton or if they're supposed to go start an organization? Yeah. Well, that is a, that could be a whole few episodes. Um, how does someone know? I think, I think one, uh, and what I was describing of think about yourself in the long term outside, just what you're doing and prepare for those things. I didn't know what I was going to do, so I worked on the kind of skills that were portable enough that I could go into something else. But somebody might have an idea in their heart that begins to grow, and you can begin to pick the brain of people that have already made the jump and, uh, and ask for the brutal realities. What was it like for you? What was it like for your family? Listen to those things so you're counting the cost before you actually jump. Um, And then hopefully you've developed a group of people or individuals that you can trust that aren't going to share that information with anybody else where you can process where you're at, you know, and they would encourage you to stay. They're not encouraging you to jump just to get out of problems until it's God. So um, having that kind of cohort of people, I work with CMN, the Church Multiplication Network, which is a great organization the Assemblies has, and they've got a ton of resources um, that could help leaders that are in those circumstances. Now, I warn you, when you get into it, you might want to jump before you should jump. And here's one of the things I would say is, like, if you want to plant a church, the best case scenario is you're sent. And that means you're funded, mm-hmm. that you've got the blessing of the the church that you're currently serving on, that you don't go through all of the planning and never talk to anybody, and then you want to check from them. Like, that doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So there has to be a point at which the dream grows and then you're able to share that. Hopefully there's a leader that's ready. Now in our existing churches, this is, uh, there's a tsunami coming um, of, of pastors stepping out of the role. Many of the churches that um, pastors don't know what to do next and they've stayed too long and the church is already in a state or condition of, of downward spiral, they're, they're dying. That's a hard church to step into. Um, but God's got people that are ready and called to do that. They got to be ready. Um, and I think don't despise God's church. You know, God sent me back to Emmanuel. And um, when I came back, the, the kind of the status of the people was, was um, stable, but they didn't have a lot of vision. They weren't ready to go do more things. And I was ready to come in and, do it right away. And the Lord spoke to me and said, slow down and let the people catch up. So a shepherd has to remember that no matter what your personal dream is, you're still leading other people. 
And I think you have to think about that. And I would say, by the way, that you got to think about this um, with kids, um, parents that hold on too tight to their children and their parent, and they want to get out of the house. Um, uh, and then they push away from the parent because of that controlling environment. There, there needs to be some kind of good release process for the parent so that the kid can launch well into their own world um, and you're still nearby. So, I mean, it, it plays out in a, in a lot of different ways. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. I know you've been able to put some of your dissertation to work as you've talked to other churches and you've helped them through their succession plan. Maybe just kind of give us a quick peek into what you do there and then we'll wrap this up and maybe talk more about your dissertation on another podcast. Sure, sure. So uh, on the side, because of the dissertation, I, I want to help a church a year through succession. So I've helped um, several churches over the last few years through their own succession processes. And it's a lot of fun for me to work with a leadership team, a board, a, a pastor who's handing the baton off and one that's coming in. And that's been fun. And that's also emerged into um, a new thing we call Future Ready Lead which is um, kind of a, a, its own uh, ministry, if you will, that is available to help other churches, but I can't go everywhere. So we're offering resources that um, will help um, specifically churches and leaders, or it could work with businesses, I suppose, as well as um, how do you cultivate on your, in your organization a process we call Future Ready um, the future ready, meaning we want to get leaders ready for the, their future. How can you do that while they're working on your team? And so there's an HR part of that process. And uh, we're just building that out. Dr. Lori is helping with me with that. She's on our staff at Emmanuel, and she's really fantastic with it. So we're getting that ready um, to go uh, out to, to other organizations. And, and we'll see where it goes from there. Oh, so amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us about preparing those to receive the baton and the succession narrative. I don't know if I said that exactly correct, but <laughs> what uh, great insights that we can gather, gather from you. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Shepherd Heart of Leader podcast. As always, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to leave a comment. And if you like today's episode, feel free to subscribe and follow and share with others. And we will leave some of the resources for Future Ready Lead in the link below. Until next time, keep leading well. 